when you're cooking in professional kitchens and you're in the middle of a service, it feels literally like it's a life or death thing. It's such a high stress environment that it feels like if you mess up, your whole world is going to collapse. And I remember this one time I had some potato fondants prepared, ready for service, got them in the oven, service came, first check came on order. And that was, uh, they needed the potato fondant for that. And the chef goes, Gaz, where's that potato fondant? And I went, oh, and I remembered that they're still in the oven and they were black. This was a most incredible restaurant I've ever worked at. And, you know, I literally felt like I let every chef down in that kitchen. You know, you get thrown in the deep end in, in these restaurants and why on earth am I doing this? It's too tough, too tough. That's Chef Gaz Oakley. And this is The Proof Podcast. Hey, beautiful friends. Welcome back to another episode. It's an absolute pleasure to be here with you. I hope that you've been keeping well. For new listeners, I'm Simon Hill, host of this show, nutritionist, physiotherapist, and author. Please do sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. One of the best ways to track our health is to regularly get blood work done, so we can take a peek under the hood and get a feel for the state of our cardiometabolic and hormonal health. You can do this with your local doctor, or you can use a service like Inside Tracker. The nice thing about Inside Tracker is they make the process super convenient. You can organize their phlebotomist, a person who draws blood, to come to your house or office to do the blood draw. A few days later, your results show up in the Inside Tracker app, and they provide lifestyle recommendations based on whether a particular test is suboptimal, normal, or optimal. I've checked Inside Tracker's lifestyle recommendations, specifically the exercise and nutrition ones, and I can confidently say they are evidence-based and in line with the information shared in both my book and on this show. They even added ApoB to their ultimate plan, based on recommendation from myself and others. It's also nice to have all of your lab results readily accessible in one mobile app, making it easy to pull up past results and see trends and patterns over time. Get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. To get started, go to insidetracker.com forward slash Simon for this exclusive offer. That's insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. If you're a long-time listener of this show, you'll be well aware of the scientific evidence that supports a high-fiber, plant-rich diet for good long-term health. And while I certainly believe in a food-first approach, there is a role for supplements to help optimize the intake of specific nutrients and address any nutritional gaps. Enter Emil. Emil is a plant-based wellness company with a series of products to help you optimize your plant-based diet. Two of my favorite products being the Essential 8 Multivitamin and the Optimal Omega Plus. The Essential 8 contains 8 key nutrients that plant-based eaters often fall short in. And the Optimal Omega Plus contains a direct source of DHA and EPA Omega-3s, same as in fish, but from algae. In fact, taking Optimal Omega Plus daily 
which contains 750 milligrams of EPA and DHA, is equivalent to eating two to three pieces of fatty fish per week, in line with the nutrition recommendations globally. To get your Essential 8 and Optimal Omega Plus, head to theproof.com forward slash friends and follow the link which will get you an extra 10% off your first order. That's theproof.com forward slash friends. I love Cardiff. I'm very proud to be from Cardiff. Um, it's a small city in comparison to somewhere like London, but I'm, I'm very happy I grew up there. I've got amazing family. Much of my sort of success over recent years is, is down to my family supporting me, I guess. Um, and growing up, to be honest with you, my life and my family's life really revolved around sport. So my dad was the coach of my rugby team from, from when I was six years old all the way through to 16. And um, all I did was play sports. So rugby, football, swimming, running, boxing, so much sport. And that's all I really loved. So I'm kind of lucky really that my, um, my dad was always a keen cook. So we had cooking programs on in the house constantly. My dad would cook fresh meals every single night. He was inspired by people like Jamie Oliver, um, all the chefs really, Gordon Ramsay, Keith Floyd was another one that we watched all the time. Um, Rick Stein, all these people are sort of household names in the UK. And I guess when I was growing up, I was really lucky to have, you know, freshly cooked food uh, made for me every night. I was a little fussy when I was younger. Uh, my friends would come over and just absolutely devour the food that my dad cooked. And sometimes I wouldn't really enjoy it. And my mum would be like loving my friends and just like shunning me because I didn't finish my food, which was terrible looking back. But then as I got older, I started um, getting more adventurous and trying everything my dad made. And that is how I started cooking. I, I got involved. I started helping my dad from the age of probably eight or nine. I just thought it was the thing to do. I, I, watched, I was watching these cooking programs as well as sports and just getting in, in the kitchen helping my dad was, um, was just what I, I enjoyed. I guess, uh, you know, my dad isn't a chef, but he learned lots from recipe books and TV. So he passed on what knowledge he, he had to me. And it was just a way for me to be artistic, really. I really loved art in school and being creative. And it was just another thing for me to do that to express that creative side. To be honest with you, growing up, um, I hated school. I was constantly looking out the window at the rugby field or the football field, just wanting to be out there. And it wasn't until I got into high school, age 12, 13, 14, 15, those are the years when my sort of focus switched from knowing I'm not going to play rugby for Wales and realizing that I really love cooking and this could be a serious career for me. I was obsessed with people like Gordon Ramsay, Marco Pierre White. I had all their books. I was watching all the, the TV documentaries and all I wanted to do was become a full-time chef, get a Michelin star, go to Paris. All the things that Marco Pierre White and Gordon Ramsay did, I wanted to do, but better in, in a way. Very competitive. Um, the sports guys thought that whole side of me cooking was quite, quite weird because, you know, you either play sports or you're smart in 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 schools in uh, back home, so it's a bit. They they thought it was a bit strange, but even even myself, I never imagined I'd be doing what I do now in terms of YouTube and books and things. I was sort of planning on going down the conventional route, which is you spend thirty years 
gaining experience in in professional kitchens and hopefully in those 30 years you'll get I would have had my own restaurant and things like that it got really serious when I could choose a subject for my GCSEs which is um a level in school around the age of 13 or 14 where you can choose additional subjects and they're your sort of main priority. And I took um, catering or cooking. I was one of seven in the class, which was great because uh, I had lots of attention from the, the teachers. And I just sort of excelled in, in those two years in, in catering, which was, which was great. And that's when I knew I needed to become a professional chef. There was an email sent to the school and it was from ITV, which is a um, TV channel in the UK. And they basically asked if there was any students interested in cooking that wanted to go on a new program of theirs called Britain's Best Dish. And obviously me being so keen, I was like, yes, I want to go. So I, I auditioned at the age of 14 for this Britain's Best Dish program and uh, I made it through quite far in the competition, probably just because I was young. <laughs> I, but I, I guess I, I had some skills. Um, I got quite far in the competition and the chefs who were judging the competition were quite well known. They were, they were very experienced and they said, actually when I got knocked out of the competition, sorry, they said to me, oh, we're probably going to regret this in a few years time when you've got a Michelin star. And that, that to me, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to get that uh, in my head. And uh, that really, really spurred me on. And um, a few months later, we got the opportunity to go on work experience for one week. And... I chose to go to a local hotel restaurant nearby me and I was in work experience for one week and what I learned in that week was more than I had learned my entire life cooking at home with my dad, um, watching TV programs, reading recipe books and in catering. So I knew I just had to be there. I instantly got a part-time job in the hotel restaurant. So after school, I would go there and work and learn as much as I could. And then as soon as I turned 16, when I could leave school, I quit school and became a full-time chef. And that's where my professional cooking journey started. Wanting to go into an environment where you're, you, this is such long hours. There's no social life. Working with some old guys, some guys that have been around the block a few times in, in restaurants and as much as the cooking skills, what they'd be teaching me is great, but some of the other things maybe not so good for a 16-year-old. But it's made them uh, made me the man I am today. What I learned there, it literally has made me the, the man I am today. And I grew up so fast in that environment. But looking back, I had to get a scooter, drive that and back and forth late nights after working. My parents must have been worried so much, but... Um, as soon as I went full-time, I was so happy because I didn't like school at all. And I was in that environment that you know I, I knew that it was beneficial for my career, so I was learning constantly. But then, you know, you get thrown in the deep end in, in these restaurants and um, I would be put on a, uh, on a section during a, a busy service and I'd have the worst service of my life and think to myself, why on earth am I doing this? this? is too tough. You know, there's a lot easier jobs out there where I don't have to stress or I could go back to school and and um it, you don't have to worry about the, the sort of pressures that i had on me and and literally when you're you're cooking in professional kitchens and you're in the middle of a service it feels literally like it's a life or death thing it's it's, it's such a high stress environment that um you know it's much, even though it's just cooking it feels like if you mess up your whole world is going to collapse and i remember this one time um, after a few years of being in the industry, just a silly thing that got to me so badly. I, I had some potato fondants um, 
prepared, ready for service. Got them in the oven. Service came, the first check came on order and that was, uh, they needed the potato fondant for that. And the chef goes, Gaz, where's that chef, uh, that potato fondant? And I went, oh, I can't say what I said. <laughs> and I re- remembered that they're still in the oven and they were black. And this was a, a most incredible restaurant I've ever worked at. And, um, you know, I literally felt like I let every chef down in that kitchen. I was, you're panicking about what's going to happen on trip advice, on, on reviews and trip advice. You're worried that that could have been a... Um, food critic because then you know their their meal is going to be delayed or and it won't be to the best quality possible it literally feels like life or death but what a thrill service is it's amazing so i i instantly i loved it i spent a couple of years at um, the first hotel restaurant where i started Uh, actually uh, around 17 years old i was running the kitchen often on certain nights and uh, that was an amazing feeling so I knew I'd sort of learned and as much as I could get out of that place. And um, there was a renowned restaurant in Cardiff called Le Galois, which was a French fine dining style restaurant with a really experienced chef in charge. And I turned that up one day um, just after a lunchtime service. I asked the waiter for the chef. I had my CV printed off, some pictures of my dishes, which looked probably terrible. But uh, I, I took them along anyway. And uh, I just said to the chef all my aspirations. I wanted to go to Paris. I wanted a Michelin star. I wanted to work for him. I was willing to work for free. So I, he said, right, come in this weekend and you can work for us. So I did that. I worked for free for three days, I think. And I must have impressed him because a week later he took me on full time. And that is where the serious work started and where I learned the majority of my skills. It was um, fine dining, fusion of modern cuisine uh, with traditional French techniques. We were trying to get a Michelin star, so as you can, Im- as you, as you can imagine, that the food was very out there. I remember plating up my food on the hot plate one day and um, the chef whispering in my ear, winding me up saying, Gah, that's, that's avant-garde, that's avant-garde. And that... <laughs> is literally how avant-garde vegan came about because when I was looking for a name for my Instagram, didn't know what to choose. So I, I, that just came into my head and I looked on Instagram, no one had used it, so I, I went with it. It was tough, really, really tough at a young age when my friends were going off to university, meeting girls and having a social life and I was just in the kitchens. Yeah, so I, actually I, I left that job um, because I, I, I got burnt out so much that I had to, I had to leave that, that job. And I worked at some more Cardiff restaurants for a, for a number of years after that and moved around trying to learn as much as I could. But then I was offered a job at a company my dad worked for, which was just loading lorries uh, at a builder's merchant. And I decided to um, just give it a go for a few months just to recuperate really after working so many years in the, the kitchens, not exercising, not eating properly, not sleeping properly. It was, it was tough on me at such a young age. So I, um, I went into this nine to five job loading lorries, which was a huge career change. And I felt like a failure at first, to be honest with you. But what really appealed to me was the, obviously half the amount of hours that I was doing, being able to earn more money and not having to sleep in my car during split shifts was very very appealing to me. So I, I went with it. And um, what I thought would be a, a six-month job just to recuperate 
turned into a few years where I actually worked my way up in this company. I try and turn every everything I do into a positive and try and make it my own. So I went from loading lorries in this company to um, being a sales rep, traveling all around the UK and uh, selling civil engineering materials, which was a huge change, I know, and very random. But um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed meeting people. And I always knew I'd go back into the cooking industry. And um, and, I, and I did. And I, the reason it happened was I, with my spare time, I got back into sports. So I actually started weightlifting in the evenings after work, put on a lot of weight, a lot heavier than I am now. I was eating like a 5,000 calorie diet. Um, I wanted to play rugby again. So I'd have a huge amount of oats in the morning, maybe something like uh, chicken and rice and veg around 12. Then around three, I'd have some fish and some sweet potato and veg gym and then a huge meal in the evening and a massive protein shake and I'm really not proud of it eating a 5,000 calorie diet um eating all that meat dairy fish I felt quite run down and knowing what I know now knowing that our bodies aren't really supposed to eat that amount of food and especially meat and dairy our bodies take a lot of uh, use a lot of energy to break it down. So no, I wasn't feeling very energetic at all, but because I love training so much, you know, I found it in me to get to the gym and, and work out. I enjoyed it. But after eating all that um, for a couple of years, it didn't have a good effect on my body. You know, I thought I looked quite good, but the feeling inside me, my stomach, I was having these stomach issues, nothing... Um, too much to, to scream about in pain, but just something like a nagging sort of horrible feeling in my stomach. And every time I used to eat meat or fish, um, I felt guilty. And I don't, I don't know why I had that sudden switch of feeling guilty, but I just did. Maybe just because of the sheer volume that I was eating, I just thought this isn't right. And the I remember actually putting on my Twitter a few, um, a f- obviously a few years ago, saying that one day I'm going to be vegan. Um, and I, 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 just, I just had it in my heart. I knew I, I knew I would go vegan. And about uh, literally only like four weeks later, I came across a video on, uh, well, actually the way I found out about this video, there's a rapper called JME who's vegan. I'm a big fan of music. I'm a big fan of his. And he was on a radio show. He talked about how he went vegan and he said he just watched one video and it made him ve- go vegan overnight. And he posted the link on his Twitter. I saved it into my phone. And then three weeks after saving it into my phone, I watched it and went vegan overnight. So it's Gary Yarofsky, um speech called The Best Speech Ever. I just think the way he um, explained things is, is just incredible. Um, I've watched it several times since still just to refresh my head. And I knew that this was my, my new life. There was no way I could go back to eating meat, dairy, and fish. So I remember, I remember having a, one of my meal preps, watching that video during one afternoon. And then after it, I was like, oh, I can't go and have that meal that's in the fridge now. Uh, I'm going to go to the supermarket. So I went to the supermarket. There's a supermarket in the UK called Sainsbury's. And even three years ago, although they didn't have like a lot of vegan convenience food that they do now, they would have like things like ready-made falafels, bean salad, hummus, all with the vegan logo on. And whereas I would never look for that prior to it, I was looking for it. And I just, because I was in a bit of a rush, I just bought everything. 
that had a vegan label on it. And I had um, a mixed bean salad, hummus, falafel, spinach. And it, although it's all shop-bought stuff, it was the most exciting, taste, tasty, flavorsome thing I've had for like two years because I just was so used to eating meal prep and stuff like that. And then I was like, okay, there's not much going on in the supermarkets. Let me start creating f- food of my own. I just started going into the ki- my parents' kitchen and experimenting. Um, I realized that there wasn't much in the supermarkets. I got my thrill of cooking again. Just got really excited by um, trying to veganize stuff. If I had certain things that I missed, I would just try and recreate them, which was really, really fun and exciting to do. Working with things like seitan, wheat gluten, um, trying to jazz up tofu, and then feeding it to my parents and them saying, oh, yeah, we're not missing meat. And funnily enough, my my mum has gone vegan now as well. My dad eats vegan 90% of the time. If you've tuned in to the many episodes I've done focusing on cardiovascular disease, the leading cause of death globally, you'll be well aware that ApoB is a better biomarker for measuring our risk of having a heart attack or stroke than LDL cholesterol. The only problem is that not every pathology lab is set up to test ApoB levels. Fortunately, this has now been made easier by Inside Tracker, a leading health and wellness company founded in 2009 by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, MIT, and Tufts that provides lifestyle advice based on your blood test results. With the new edition of ApoB, Inside Tracker's ultimate plan now analyzes 44 biomarkers, including metabolic health markers like HbA1c, triglycerides, and blood glucose, important nutrients like vitamin D and iron, as well as hormones like cortisol, sex hormone binding globulin, free testosterone, and total testosterone, before giving you science-backed lifestyle advice to optimize your health and longevity. Your data tells the story of your health. With Inside Tracker, get to know your story and create a lifestyle that delivers better health for longer. Get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. To get started and redeem this offer, go to insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. That's insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. Hey friends, the scientific evidence on lifestyle habits that lead to longevity is clear. Now it's time to put this knowledge into action. I'm excited to announce the Living Proof Longevity Challenge, a 12-week program to build evidence-based lifestyle habits to optimize longevity. My team and I have transformed over hundreds of hours of conversations with experts on aging, nutrition, and exercise into a life-changing 12-week program that will challenge you to develop habits that lead to a longer, better life. This is a unique opportunity to gather health data about yourself that has the potential to change your life for the better. You'll start by testing 10 longevity biomarkers that tell the truth about where your longevity stands right now, today. Following that, you'll get a personalized longevity score to guide your 12 weeks of habit building that will boost your score and improve your biomarkers for the better. After the challenge, you'll retest your 10 biomarkers and see the proof of how powerful these science-backed habits really are. Head over to theproof.com forward slash livingproof to download your zero-cost copy of the Living Proof Longevity Challenge today. That's theproof.com forward slash livingproof. 
Look forward to joining you on this journey. So first up, I just started cooking and experimenting just for myself, just because I wanted to eat nice things. I didn't want to miss anything. I knew that I could never go back to the diet I had before. I knew that I'd always be vegan. So I wanted to make that as exciting as possible for myself. And then friends and family and work colleagues especially were like, what the hell are you eating, Gaz? Like, how, why are you vegan? You must be missing so much stuff. So I decided to start taking pictures of everything I was eating and just put it on Instagram. And that was just a way for me to show my friends and colleagues and everyone what I was eating because uh, I got asked all the time. And that Instagram started off uh, as an account called Go Vegan, which was G-O, my initials, and then vegan. And um, it started go growing in popularity really, really fast. And I uh, then switched over to Avant-Garde Vegan because I wanted to make it more of a um, more of a brand almost. And especially because people were requesting the recipes, there's people from all around the world following me. And I thought, right, this is something quite serious now. And it's great. There wasn't really anyone at that time on social media, as, as far as I can remember, who was an ex-professional chef or was a professional chef um, using their skills to make tasty vegan recipes. So I guess why I had people asking me for the recipes because they hadn't seen that type of food before. Um, I took it more seriously. I got a proper camera and started taking better food pictures, um, spending more and more time in the kitchen and skiving off work. I can say this now because I've been out of the job for a few years. Uh, but I, I was a sales rep. I had, you know, the, I had a company car. And when I should have been at meetings, I wasn't. I was at home and I was in the kitchen making lovely food and taking pictures. And at, back then I was trying to upload a picture every day. So as you know, someone who makes content, you know, you have to, if you're going to be uploading something every day, you need to be working on it every day. So I didn't go to many meetings and I felt I, I, I was even less, I was even less enthusiastic about that job after finding uh, this new sort of hobby and just the whole, the whole thing of just encouraging people to go vegan is just what I wanted to do. That was my mission. So um, I actually reached 7,000 followers on Instagram and decided it was the time to quit my job. I thought, right, 7,000 followers, that is loads. That is so many people. Yeah, I had people, I had one person from America contact me. I'm right, I've made it, I'm gone. <laughs> so I remember quitting my job on, on like a Friday and then going to a, a vegan festival uh, on the Saturday. And then the week later, I'd actually made a contact and I had my own stall. So a week after quitting my job, I had my own stall at a vegan festival. And I thought, wow, I'm, you know, I can, I can make some money. It's, it was, obviously money's not the motivation, but uh, you know, I needed it to survive and I needed, I needed money to invest into my content. More and more people were asking for recipes and I was toying around with maybe should I do my own book, but without any graphic design skills and a huge budget, I thought to myself, no, let's go over to YouTube. So um, I started my YouTube in December 2016 and just put out on Twitter, uh, is, any, is there any video, uh, videographers around that want to do some filming with me? And I, I looked at people like Jamie Oliver on YouTube and just saw how they film and just very relaxed and just tasty recipes. Um, but I'd been really inspired by watching cooking programs on at home all my life. So I thought, I want to emulate that. I want to make TV-ready content on YouTube. So um, 
I first started filming in, in December 2016 and I was so shy and awkward and stiff. And I, as when they put the cameras on me, I realized, oh, damn, yeah, I need it. I'm actually going to be on camera. I forgot about this. I, I forgot about, I forgot that I had to have a sort of personality and a presence. I just thought to myself, yeah, I'm just going to be cooking. But no, you have to uh, interact with the audience almost. But it's hard when they're not there. You just have to talk to a lens. So I felt it really. I felt really awkward at first, and I was. I didn't think I could do it, but I kept at it. Um, I can't watch those videos now because they're so embarrassing. But uh, I'm now six, uh, eight seasons into my YouTube channel, so over a year and a half old, and it's my biggest audience of five hundred, over five hundred thousand subscribers in less than two years. And uh, I, I really enjoy it now as well, which is fun. Um, I thought actually when I started that. I'd have to put on some sort of act, uh, like an act and be really confident and uh, like a typical YouTuber or presenter or Jamie Oliver, you know, where he's really enthusiastic and loud and that is just not me at all. So I just couldn't do it. And I just thought I'll just be my sort of quiet self and um, just chilled out really, I guess. And my my audience is really taken to it and I get some amazing comments and um, I, I really love YouTube and I'm, I'm so proud to be here. Uh, to be on it, and I upload a recipe video every Sunday. It's, it's great. I'm always trying to up the level, so each season they, they get better and better, I think. I did get some credit cards, or a credit card, and uh, that's how I initially paid for my, my crew to help me out. As I said, I, I'm so determined. Um, I knew it was an investment. I had, to, I had to make it work. I couldn't just switch on a camera in my parents' kitchen because I'd been really trying to make the food pictures as professional and as visually appealing as possible. I couldn't then just do a DIY recipe video on YouTube. So I had to invest into the crew. And um, luckily, uh, we gelled. And um, although I wasn't very good on camera, it, we made it work. And um, unfortunately, I don't use that original crew anymore. I use another crew. It was a good start and uh, no, I, I'm really happy I invested in sort of professional crew because I knew the food was good. I knew I had to get the cinematography good because I wasn't very good myself on camera. <laughs> and at first I just hired an Airbnb. I didn't even tell the owner that I was filming, <laughs> filming in it. I just hired an Airbnb with a nice kitchen and I did that for the first three seasons of recipe videos. Wow. For seasons two and three, I moved to another Airbnb and I told those because it actually grew quite fast for YouTube. So I had to had to tell them. But um, from season four to eight, I've started hiring proper professional sort of studios, which are made for filming. Um, eventually, one day, it's my dream to have my own studio so I can just flip on a camera anytime and do something really nice but uh, for now it's a trip to London with the crew with all the ingredients with all the gear and uh, that's how the videos sort of come together I try and let the food do the talking I try and make veganism look cool whether that's me teaming up with um, you know a, a clothing brand for example and and just try and make it more mainstream and pe appealing to the general sort of maybe 16 to 30 year old that is you know similar to me so I try and make it appealing and I know that I'm not the most um, articulate person the way I talk. So food is my language and it's the way I, I express myself. So, And then in terms of trolls and things like that, I get for every bad comment, I probably get about 50 to 100 nice ones, which is really good. 
And the bad ones are generally just people saying stuff like, what on earth are you doing? You're a vegan, you say you eat, why are you eating this meat replacement? Something like that. Or just like really like childish stuff. If you're feeling down at any time, like we all do, and you read some of these bad comments, then it's obviously going to affect you a little bit. But a second later, I've gone to the gym or gone for a run and I've forgotten about it. So it's nothing to worry about. And uh, I know that I'm, I know what I'm doing is a good thing and I'm just going to not let any sort of hate or anything like that put me off. For me, the recipe creation process is, um, it depends what type of recipe I'm making, but like most chefs, if we go to a market or to the supermarket and we see some new produce and that's just come into season, you're inspired by that and you take it home and you'll cook something nice with it and you just experiment. So that's how recipes come along quite often. That's a very nice organic way. Um, more so now, I'm getting feedback on my YouTube channel what people would like me to veganize. Um, so that's something where I put my mind to remembering the flavors and trying to create a vegan alternative, which is always fun. And you get really, I get proper excited when I crack a recipe like that. Travel is something that I really, I, I really want to do. And if I have a dish where I'm traveling or I've watched a documentary in a certain part of the world and I see something that's not necessarily vegan, I want to try and veganize that, I do. I've got a beautiful taco dish coming on my YouTube channel in a few weeks that I, um, I actually saw a, a documentary on YouTube and it was Mark Wines, I believe his name is. He went to Mexico and had all these tacos and he had a fish taco and I really wanted it. It looked amazing. So I, I veganized it. I made it with jackfruit and um, I, they didn't give the recipe away, but I just sort of figured out what potentially could go into it. I put Mexican flavors into the jackfruit, stuffed it inside a pepper, battered it. Oh God, it's a, I can't, thinking about it just uh, gives me a little, uh, I just day-to-day -day stuff. Like I, I know that as soon as I get into a kitchen, um, now I'm going to make a rang dang or I'm going to make a, um, a nazi goring that I've just been eating. You know, I just get excited by stuff like that. And for any, for advice is um, to, to to chefs wanting to create their own recipes or budding um, cooks at home, just experiment. Use recipes. Maybe use recipes as a just a guide. If you like a flavour and that flavor isn't in a recipe that you have in front of you, just add it and see what happens. Like there's, there shouldn't be rules in cooking. And I always say this to people on my YouTube channel. If you don't have one of these ingredients, leave it out, add some more of something else. Like be creative. And I, I remember going to Verga, the restaurant that I'm now executive chef for, and we were in their kitchen going through their menu and one of their chefs was making a batch of burgers. And I said, can you just leave me some of these ingredients there? Didn't weigh anything out at all. I just put it all in. And the, the owners of Virgo were watching me, probably thinking I was, they were just like looking at me quite strange. But I was just getting my hands involved. I was putting all these different things. I was saying, can I have a tablespoon of this, a tablespoon of that? And I created this burger that was so unbelievably tasty that is now going on their menu and it's going to replace their classic burger. It's going to be the new classic burger. And um, that is just from me sort of freestyling it. I think the more time you spend in the kitchen experimenting, the more you're going to understand about flavors and what matches with what. It's strange being vegan now and looking back to some of the stuff I've cooked and prepared and, and sort of feeling guilty for it. But um, if I hadn't have done those um, years learning the traditional way of cooking 
I wouldn't be able to create the recipe and the, the recipes and the food that I do now. It's really, really helped me in terms of um, making sure I'm bringing out flavors in re- vegan recipes, adding bold flavors to what can be bland food. Yeah, and that's why I, I create the recipes I do. I want to create recipes that encourage people to eat less meat, to potentially go vegan. And I know that um, part of cooking is obviously flavor, but texture is really important as well. And going from a, a meat-heavy diet to a vegan diet, you need to make sure that you're getting many different textures and flavors into dishes. Sweet, sour, spicy, umami flavors, and very important, and then crispy, soft, smooth, all those type of textures that you need to create a, a, a complete dish. My dreams really is the book, then that, the restaurant and TV, because I've grown up watching cooking programs. I've had lots of meetings with TV production companies in the UK. I just want a vegan cooking show or vegan show on, t- on the mainstream TV just because it needs to be there now. So if it's me or another vegan chef, I'm, uh, I'm going to be happy. We need to get veganism in the mainstream. It's going that way. And there needs to be, especially in the UK, there needs to be something like that. And I, I'm so frustrated with it, actually. This, you see the same faces on these cooking shows in the UK. And I wouldn't put it past these TV shows to one day announce that, for example, Jamie Oliver is going to come out with a vegan series. And as much as that is great for the scene i think it needs if they're going to do that they need to get a vegan chef doing it or an actual vegan to be doing it but i think these tv production companies and channels are too scared to take a risk on a on new talent someone who hasn't been on tv before um which is such a shame however i appreciate his work and gordon ramsay's work because they have built such an empire and they were very inspirational to me when before going vegan and and especially Jamie Oliver, he's done a lot for healthy eating and things like that. Fingers crossed one day someone like that will go vegan and it will have a huge impact on their audience. YouTube is the new TV in my eyes. So if I can make my own show on YouTube, which I have done and keep going with that, you'll find me there for as long as possible. There we go. I hope you found that interesting instructive, illuminating, and clarifying. Of course, if you did, please share with your friends and family on the socials. The more people that we can help together, the better. And while you're there, make sure that we're connected. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at plant underscore proof. Quick one before I let you go. I am often asked what supplements I take. Probably one of the most common questions that I get actually. So I finally got around and created an in-depth supplement guide, totally free, that you can download along with a bunch of other free guides at plantproof.com. Inside, it contains information about daily supplements for everyday wellness, along with performance supplements. The daily supplement that I personally take is a multi-nutrient called Essential 8 by Nutrikind. This is a product I formulated for Nutrikind alongside their team that specifically contains the eight key nutrients that plant-based eaters often fall a little short in. Omega-3s from algae, B12, vitamin D3 from mushroom, iodine from seaweed, calcium, zinc, selenium, and iron. 
the right forms in the right doses to complement your plant-rich diet. To find out more or subscribe to a monthly delivery, head to NutraKind.com. That's N-U-T-R-I-K-Y-N-D.com. And use the code PLANTPROOF for 15% off your purchase. So in summary, grab a copy of the supplement guide at plantproof.com. And if you are in the market for a daily multi-nutrient to cover your bases, head to NutraKind.com and use the code PLANTPROOF for 15% off. On that lovely note, it's time to bring this one to a close. Thank you so much for hanging out with me and for your ongoing interest in evidence-based nutrition. I appreciate you and I look forward to repeating it all again in a few days time. Until then, remember, more plants, my friends, more plants.